The Island Digest is a sampling of the stories in this week's Journal of the San Juans, Islands Sounder, and Islands Weekly, which are on newsstands now. The December 14th edition is brought to you by Orcus Center. I'm Caleb Summers. Headlines from the week of December 14th, 2022. Orcus SSIS student receives full ride to Tufts University. Unpermitted bulkheads impacting forage fish. Internationally acclaimed climate change author giving a lecture on Lopez. Plus excerpts from the sheriff's log. From the Island's Sounder, Orcus SSIS student receives full ride to Tufts University, by Colleen Smith-Summers. Myla Ross was stunned when Tufts University awarded her a full-ride five-year scholarship. It feels not very real, laughed the 18-year-old Spring Street International School senior who lives on Orcas. Next fall, Ross will be attending the School of the Museum of Fine Arts at Tufts, where she will pursue a BFA-slash-BA five-year dual degree with a major in fine arts and a minor in creative writing. The scholarship was awarded through QuestBridge, a vetting program for high-achieving high school students that partners with 48 top U.S. colleges to provide full scholarships. I first heard about it from Spring Street's college counselor last year, Ross said. It's been such a lengthy process. I'm very excited. The first round of the application process is the College Prep Scholars Award, which gives recipients tools to succeed in submitting college applications. Ross was accepted into that as a junior. This is followed by the National College Match Process, of the 17,900 applicants to that program in 2022, a total of 5,613 were selected as finalists, who then ranked up to 15 of the partner universities to apply as an early decision. From that grouping, the college's admissions departments chose scholarship recipients. This year, 1,755 students were selected. Of this, Tufts, located in Massachusetts, matched 20 applicants, including Ross. Ross has been a devoted artist since she was little, and now works mainly with oil painting. Her art has been displayed at the Orcus Library and Orcus Center. I have a lot of really artistic people in my family— my dad is an incredible artist, and my grandfather is too, she said. My grandmother always made sure the house was filled with any kind of art supply available. Ross is the daughter of Caitlin Nichols and Marvel Ross, and the granddaughter of Paula Schumann. She attended Salmonberry School as an elementary student and says her love of creative pursuits, including writing, began there. We had these little journals that we'd write and draw in every morning. That's where it started for me, Myla said. Her favorite medium now is poetry, short fiction, and flash fiction, and she often combines all three. 
She was accepted into the Reynolds Young Writers Summer Workshop at Denison University last summer. Since middle school, Myla has attended Spring Street, where she says creative writing teachers like Heather June and art instructor Taylor Bruce have mentored her. Taylor has been super wanting and willing to meet with me after school and on weekends, she said. For one of the May terms during COVID, I did a month-long internship with her about portraitures. June says school staff has witnessed Myla blossom into a consummate writer and visual artist who, at her core, loves and appreciates people, nature, and philosophical discourse. She gives of herself wholeheartedly and is one of the most contemplative and least judgmental people we know, she said. Myla says that she learned more last year than ever through the discussions in her AP English class, where she came to understand that while it is almost impossible to remove one's feelings and in turn one's self from a heated debate, the greater goal is to approach discourse with a sense of humor and flexibility that allows for genuine communication and growth. Myla will challenge herself and succeed with uplifting aplomb. She benefits any learning community of which she is a part. Myla started playing piano in kindergarten as a very reluctant student. I was not on board with practicing every day, but my grandmother made me stick with it, and it developed into this thing that I really love. I can just go to someone's house and play them something, she said. Now, Myla has had more than a decade of classical piano instruction from Catherine Peterson, who she describes as a second grandmother. Everyone has been so supportive of me to experiment and grow, she said. Myla loves to travel, and this spring will accompany a group of Spring Street students to India and Nepal. In her free time, she spends time with friends and walks her dog, Taco. Myla also has a passion for swimming in the ocean, which she tries to do every day. It's my source of rejuvenation, she said. In ten years, Myla says it's safe to say she will be writing and making art. She is planning to pursue a master's degree abroad. Ultimately, I would love to teach art at the college level, she said. From the Journal of the San Juan Islands, Unpermitted Bulkheads Impacting Forage Fish, by Heather Spaulding. A staggering 74% of bulkheads, or armoring, constructed along the shorelines of San Juan County over the last 10 years are not permitted, according to a recent study conducted by Friends of the San Juans. This isn't just happening here. This is what people are finding in other areas across Washington as well, said Tina Whitman, science director for Friends, a local nonprofit that has been researching forage fish habitat over the last 20 years. During a public workshop on December 6th, Whitman defined armoring as a wall along the shoreline consisting of concrete, rock, or wood with the idea of stopping erosion. Armoring can be built in the high tide zone or constructed lower, directly on the beach. Occasionally, there are no alternatives to armoring. 
For example, a house may be in danger of falling into the sea. Whitman pointed out that often property owners install seawalls simply for landscaping purposes, not realizing the detrimental effects on beaches and the wildlife that depends on them. Natural erosion processes are important for maintaining beaches. Kurt Hart, the Washington State Department of Ecology's communications manager, said, Hard armoring can cut off the supply of sediment needed to maintain our beaches and the habitat they provide, and worsen erosion on nearby beaches. This harms the delicate ecological balance that ensures the survival of salmon, shellfish, and other native species. Whitman explained that less wood, seaweed, and other organic material accumulate on beaches with armoring. Insects feed on the organic matter that naturally builds up on beaches. A decrease in seaweed and logs means fewer invertebrates. No bugs along the shore mean no food for juvenile salmon. Studies have shown, according to Whitman, that juvenile salmon along armored coastlines have less food in their stomachs than those along unarmored coastlines. Other impacts include a coarser substrate, which is unsuitable for forage fish spawning, reduction in native beach vegetation, steeper beach profile, and less resilient beaches for sea level rise. These well-known and well-documented impacts are precisely why constructing armoring requires two permits, one from county agencies and a hydraulic permit issued by the Washington State Department of Fish and Wildlife. While 74% of armoring in San Juan County is unpermitted, an additional 25% only had one of the required permits. Monitoring after the armoring is complete is also required, and after a detailed public records request, Friends staff found there was little evidence of follow-up inspections. I wasn't surprised by those findings, said David Williams, director of San Juan County Community Development. Williams became joined in the department in 2021, after the study's end date. He explained that community development is fully staffed for the first time in years. An additional code enforcement officer will be coming aboard next year. The new employee, according to Williams, will spend their time split half and half between enforcement and working in the environmental stewardship department. They will spend their time 100% on the environment, he said. Once that individual is hired, code enforcement will be in a better position to take on inspections. For every permit we issue, it's critical to get those inspections done. When asked if ecology was surprised by the lack of permits and inspections, Hart responded, We haven't evaluated the report findings in depth, but we agree with the report's conclusion that much more effort is needed to accurately track on-the-ground conditions to adequately protect marine shorelines, ensuring compliance with existing regulations. Whitman said there is currently little incentive to get a permit, especially considering the process is long and costly. Williams added that should code enforcement get involved, tens of thousands of dollars in fines can accumulate, 
and civil or criminal actions can be taken against the landowner. The state can also levy fines and civil or criminal penalties. Contractors can face fines as well for taking on unpermitted projects. I would rather help people do things the right way than get code enforcement involved, Williams said, encouraging the public to work with community development staff to see what is possible with their site. Through the Friends study, it also became apparent that the data state and county officials look at when permitting new armoring is not accurate, as they are looking at what is on record and not what is actually on the ground. Agencies may approve a project assuming there is no other armoring in the vicinity when that might not be accurate. There was no evidence of any requirement for mitigation of forage fish habitat loss in the permits Friends staff looked at. Almost all new armoring permits seemed to have a cookie-cutter element to them with frequent errors, like landowners' names being wrong, and almost always blanket no-impact statements being issued, without any backup evidence or information. State data also reflects more armoring being removed than being installed, Whitman said. The Friends study shows the opposite. Restoration, Whitman continued, has been touted as the answer, with billions of dollars being thrown at it. She says prevention is an even better solution. Refraining from building unnecessary or ill-constructed armoring in the first place is ideal. It takes a lot of work to put things in and take them out. It costs millions of dollars. Instead, just don't put it in in the first place, she said, reiterating that some armoring is necessary and Friends is not against all armoring. We just need to do a much better job with tracking and inspection. According to Williams, the county is in the process of conducting its own cumulative effects study, required by the state every four years. The study is similar to the Friends report in that it is an on-the-ground effort to see what development is taking place on local beaches. Williams said he expects the results by late summer. When people see things occurring on the shoreline, please call us, he said. The sooner we hear, the sooner we can respond. Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife is also collecting information to improve the performance of both DFW and the permittee. They released a one-year progress report in 2015 and a five-year progress report in 2019. They can be found at wdfw.wa.gov slash publications slash 01746. If you encounter a potential hydraulic violation, you can report it on WDFW's website at wdfw.wa.gov slash license slash environmental slash HPA slash HPA compliance. From the Islands Weekly, internationally acclaimed climate change author giving a lecture on Lopez. 
on Friday, December 16th at 6 p.m. at the Lopez Center for Community and the Arts, internationally acclaimed author, lecturer, and global TED speaker, Per Espen Stoknis, will be giving a lecture on climate change solutions and innovations. The Madrona Institute is sponsoring this event as part of their ongoing climate change lecture series. The economic system keeps crashing. It's time to install a new operating system. Fifty years ago, the Limits to Growth, 1972, shocked the world by showing that population and industrial growth were pushing humanity towards a cliff. Today, the world recognizes that we are now at the cliff edge. Earth has crossed multiple planetary boundaries, while widespread inequality is causing deep instabilities in societies. But an international team of scientists, economists, and multidisciplinary experts, led by Per Espen Stoknes, found that there is time to upgrade our economic system with five extraordinary turnarounds. Eliminate poverty address inequality, women's empowerment, transforming the food and energy systems. If implemented in the next decade, we can shift the economic system toward well-being for all within planetary boundaries. Come join us for this exciting lecture and opportunity for a question-and-answer session with Per Espen following the presentation. Per Espen Stoknes is a TED Global speaker, a psychologist with Ph.D. in economics, and serves as the director of Center for Sustainability and Energy at the Norwegian Business School in Oslo. An experienced foresight facilitator and academic, he's also serial entrepreneur, including co-founding clean tech company GasPlas. He is the author of several books, among them Money and Soul, 2009, and the award-winning book What We Think About When We Try Not to Think About Global Warming, 2015. His latest books are Tomorrow's Economy, 2021, on MIT Press, and Earth for All, 2022, with The Club of Rome. Per Espen has served as a member of Norwegian Parliament and on the EU Commission's Mission Board on Horizon Europe's Climate Change and Societal Adaptation. He has been a central contributor to the Club of Rome's www.earthforall.life project. For more information, please go to www.madrona.org. And now, choice excerpts from the San Juan County Sheriff's Log. On November 30th, a deputy on San Juan took a report of a theft that occurred sometime within the last three months. There are no leads or suspects at this time. On December 1st, in Friday Harbor, the reporting deputy was contacted about a case of trespassing, after speaking with the people involved, the incident appears to be a property line dispute and no crime had been committed. A Lopez deputy responded to and took a report about a fraud call. 
A citizen reported that their niece in California became a victim of an Internet scam. The scam was a Facebook message promising to offer federal grant money, claiming to represent clean energy. On December 4th, on Orcas, a deputy stopped the driver of a vehicle for traveling without headlights after dark. The driver was then arrested for driving under the influence. On December 5th, a deputy responded to a San Juan business about a trespassing complaint. The suspect, who was previously trespassed from the business, had entered and stolen some items. The suspect was located, arrested, and booked into jail for burglary second degree and theft third degree. On December 6th, a deputy on San Juan responded to a report of a theft. A citizen reported 40 to 50 of their knitted hedgehogs were taken from the holiday market. There are no prickly leads or suspects at this time. Perhaps it goes without saying that the atrocity of using prickly puns in a sheriff's log is almost as atrocious as the theft itself. This concludes the December 14th edition of the Island Digest. This edition is brought to you by Orcas Center. Orcas Center is your place for fun and intrigue this fall with live concerts, performances, art openings, and more. To check out upcoming events and purchase tickets, visit www.orcascenter.org. Thank you for listening to the Island Digest, a small sampling of what's in your local print newspapers this week. The Journal, Sounder, and Weekly rely upon advertising, subscriptions, and donations to support our mission of high-quality community journalism. To contribute, visit our websites or email publisher Colleen Smith-Summers at csmith at soundpublishing.com. Tune in again next week for more news from San Juan County, Washington. I'm Caleb Summers.